Are you ready for the Horror Shed Podcast starting now? Welcome back, everyone, to the Horror Shed Podcast. I'm Jared. Today we have Brian with us as well. Oh, sorry. Yo, I was reading my notes. <laughs> hey, what's going on, Jared? How are you tonight? I'm good, man. What's up? What are you up to? How, how was your pizza? My pizza was fantastic. Well, that's good. I'm glad someone had a good pizza. Oh, what happened? Well, Irene ordered at like 5.45, right? Yeah. At 6.30, no pizza. Oh, it's on its way. 7 o'clock, it's on its way. 7.15, oh yeah, it's on its way. So it, it finally got here at 7.40, which is 19 minutes ago. Cold. Oh, shit. So she already got a 20% discount because it was two hours late we get it's friday it's busy but come on two hours so i said oh this is great cold pizza and uh so she called him and she was very professional and polite but you know gave him a new one and we got a free pizza that's coming you know on its way now there you go yeah so Uh, you had a meat lovers correct oh yeah Mm. yeah i usually don't go because pizza's so expensive anymore but i was like you know I want that little extra tonight, so because I really need it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went with a vegetable pizza. I, I like vegetable pizza. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Not bad. All right, but we're not here to talk about pizza. No, we're, we're not. About, uh, we're going to talk about 1974's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but you wanted to drop some, you know, news that was released today. I'm kind of iffy on this news. Which one's this? The Constantine. Oh, the Constantine. Yeah. I don't know. I think it could be good. I enjoyed the first one. But Constantine's not he's not American. He doesn't have dark hair. He's in he's English. <laughs> and I mean the only thing that I mean, if you watch the original Constantine movie with Keanu Reeves, um, the one thing that really just stood out all the time was when he flicked his lighter, he like made it like an art form. You yeah. know? Um, I don't know if you ever watched the short-lived NBC Constantine TV series. No. Um, I can't remember the guy's name offhand, but he was everything the comic book character was. Okay. And <clears throat> that only lasted a season. And sh- like maybe a year or two later, um, CW had the Legends of Tomorrow, and they did an episode where they brought that Constantine character into that episode. And in that season, he was like in sporadic episodes, but following the next season up until the season before last, he was a series regular and he, the guy that played him was really good, really good. And I like Keanu Reeves. I just don't think he's the right role for Constantine. And I wasn't a big fan of the original. Okay. All right. So what, I guess you were a fan of, uh, or something. I, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was fun, okay. but I had no past expectations of it because right. I knew he was a comic, a comic book guy, but I never mm-hmm. saw, read, heard any of it before. So right. Keanu was my introduction to that character, and I love Keanu. So I was excited when I got the news. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can find the TV show somewhere. I don't know if it's on Peacock. It might be on Peacock. Yeah, Peacock, um, but it's, I think, I don't know if it ran for a full season. It might have been like a 12 season episode, but it was dark, you know, like not as dark as the movie. I guess they had to keep it 
you know, somewhat PG-13 for NBC. But, yeah, the guy that played him was really good. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974. Did you want to do that other thing first? Oh, yeah, man. You know, you know, you know why my mind's all scattered? Because you didn't have the pizza. Right. You know, and the slices were like, like, uh, like, what is this, an appetizer? You know, like this is a large. OK, so we are proud to announce that we have our very first show sponsor. Uh, so if any of you do follow me on South Jersey Jason on Facebook or Instagram, I do have a costume designer, uh, Jim Ingram. He runs J3 Jason Costumes. You can find him on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and he has a YouTube channel. And I believe he is putting out a website like he's revamping it. He primarily does all Jason um, related material, but he does sometimes step outside of the box. I've known Jim for three years now, and I found him on Etsy. And he's a great guy. From the minute you talk to him until the minute you receive the item, he keeps you up to date all the way. Uh, His prices are there. You can't beat his prices uh, because some people will spend over a thousand dollars for a part seven or part eight costume, not with Jim. Uh, you, you're going to be well under that price. And uh, he's made me seven costumes in three years. <laughs> so, and we have a really good relationship. Uh, he's actually my sponsor because uh, I do a lot of fundraisers. So one, I'm giving back to the community and two, I'm giving him recognition with his costumes. And because of him, I'm a, if I can repeat, I'm not going to repeat Booker T, but five-time cosplay champion. So I think we should get him on on a future episode. He's a big horror fan. Uh, So uh, we can get him on and maybe he can pick a horror movie that he wants to review. But yeah, thanks to J3 Jason Costumes for being our first show sponsor. Yes, thank you so much. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll show the logo again for him. Here we go. Very cool. And you know what? Someone was asking me earlier today, Jared, uh, are we going to have show merch down the line? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's look towards uh, November at the extreme latest. And, um, you know, I think you could make booty pants, too, like the yoga pants, because you have them on your other website. I do. I could could do the horror. There we go. I mean, I can model them, you know, put them on, you know, the website. I don't know how many followers we'll lose. No, the the point is the gain on the YouTube channel. That's how we grow. I don't need dudes running. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, all right. All right, so enough of the shenanigans. Let's get into... Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, this is a franchise that suffers from sequel-itis. Yes. Uh, they, you know, I'm not a, I, I, I watched part two. It got, to me, it was campy. Uh, coming from the raw first one to the campiness. Part, part three, I actually like. Like, it's a favorite of mine. But people talk about Friday 13th having bad sequels. Leatherface has gotten no love. Yeah. And the 2022 one, it wasn't bad. Uh, I just wish they weren't all over with the plot. They left so many things open in my point of view. Uh, So maybe they'll fix it for another one. The only thing I could take away from that gigantic 
gigantic piece of shit was <laughs> dude i hated that movie i i don't need the woke kids like uh, it's just something i don't need right now and the one good thing they did pull off is i wanted him to kill everybody <laughs> yeah yeah that's where i was at a half hour into the movie i'm like all right it's annoying but all these little fuckers are gonna die right and right they they pulled the Halloween H2O out or the Halloween kills out with her coming back. And I was just like, come on, man. But it had that awesome Winnebago scene or the bus scene, whatever that was. Yeah. That was fantastic. I felt like they made him a little supernatural hero-ish, like when he jumped out of like that pond in the building or whatever you want to call it you know oh, the, the full area. lake in the theater yeah yeah or like when he threw the like the mini sledgehammer yeah like that was like a that was like a captain america thor throw <laughs> so but yeah they left like i wanted to know more like how he ended up at the orphanage they they should have opened up a little bit more with that yes you know i like how they did the documentary part um, but they should have done a flashback sequence to kind of be like, oh, that's how he got there. Yeah. And they're and they're trying to justify that he was between 16 and 18. I'm sorry, Gunnar Hansen <laughs> was too big for a 16 to 18 year old. Plus, you saw his eyes and you could see around his eyes. Mm-hmm, you could tell mm-hmm. he was in his 30s. Like, yeah, exactly. But that being said, we're going to talk about the good Texas Chainsaw. Well, let's do it. All right. So. Um, for those that are new to the Horror Shed podcast, the way that I break down my my reviews, if I do them on my end, um, I go into a little backstory about the pre-production and casting. Then we get into the plot. And we'll go into the reception and then, you know, trivia. So, Jared, feel free if you have anything to chime in, um, feel free to do so. The one thing I want to say before I start, I never hated a character more than I did Franklin from the minute. He was trying to take a piss and he goes down that hill (laughs) because a truck drove by like, come on, bro. (laughs) Oh, I hated him so much. And he wasn't liked on set. But from what I read, he stayed method the entire time. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. But he was just he was the one guy that I was like, yeah, die, motherfucker. And that was an awesome scene. That lighting in that yeah, scene was when, fantastic. Was great. And when I saw that, I was 17. I rented it from like West Coast Video. Not, I didn't know anything really about the movie. And that's the one scene that I was like, oh shit. You know, when he came out, that was the scene that got me. Some I, people might say like when Pam was on the hook or the guy got hit the mallet. What are you going to say? I like pure honesty. So I'm going to be straight up with you. Mm-hmm. I didn't see this till much later. Um, this is really only the third time I've watched it. Oh my gosh. And I actually watched the remake before I watched this. The remake holds the remake, I hold it in its league of its own. To me, that was a faithful remake. Retelling. With a few, yeah. 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 I I really liked like the, the, the police footage in the beginning. That opening look... scene is so awesome. Yeah. And then the, the flash with his face yes. at the end when it goes to yeah. it. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that. But I, I, I had to, you know, tell the truth and I can't say well, there's I've been a, a... um there is a deleted scene, like I don't know if you saw it just on like uh on TV or like DVD, but DVD has a deleted scene where it doesn't end with like how the uh, Leatherface killed the cops. Spoiler warning: It ends with um, the Jessica Biel character 
like in a mental asylum. I did see and, that. Okay. I did see that. Because I bought and that then, DVD the day it came out from FYE in Hamilton. Not FYE. <laughs> uh, taking it back. All right. <clears throat> so the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out in 1974, and it was an American horror film produced and directed by Toby Hooper from a story and screenplay by Hooper and Kim Henkel. It stars Marilyn Burns, Paul Parson, Edwin Neal, Jim Seidel, and Gunnar Hansen, who respectively portray Sally Hardesty, Franklin Hardesty, the hitchhiker, I always wondered what was on the hitchhiker's face. Was that a birthmark? I think it's a birthmark to make him creepier. Okay. Maybe all the inbreeding created that. I didn't know until more recently. That's him in the beginning digging up the grave when you hear like the grunting and the shovel. Oh, okay. That's him. Yep. And he was taking, because he was taking photos of the people he was digging up and he was posing them. That's because I just dawned on me because when he comes back later on in the movie and the, the old man's like, why you got You told you not to go to that graveyard. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then Hanson playing Leatherface. The film follows a group of friends who fall victim to a family of cannibals while on their way to visit an old homestead. The film was marketed as being based on true events to attract a wider audience and to act as a subtle commentary on the era's political climate. Although the character Leatherface and minor story details were inspired by the crimes of murderer Ed Gein, its plot is a largely fictional. Uh, it's fictional, and Ed Gein would be another person that we could. We oh, could we're talk going about. into that. Yeah, the butcher. What was it? Butcher of Bakersfield, I think it was. Uh, Plains, Plains, Plainsfield, 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 yeah. something like that. Yeah. Now and I also go for mm-hmm. it. Go for it. No, 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 no. Uh, go ahead. I also heard that Toby Hooper was a little inspired when he was stuck in line at a Sears. Anyway. oh yes yes that's yeah. in my notes okay yeah. cool look at that all right we'll yeah. get to that later um so hooper produced a film for less than one hundred forty thousand, which in today's is uh eight hundred thousand. so this was made for less than what halloween was made for yeah because i believe halloween 78 was three hundred thousand. uh and he used a cast of relatively unknown actors drawn mainly from central texas where the film was shot and this is the way to go because when you're making a film like this you don't want to cast like who was big at the time, like Paul Newman yeah. or um, who who was in uh, who was in Newman with um, Butch Cassidy and Sundance, Robert Redford, because, you know, they're not going to die. Right. So I like when they cast unknowns because you, you don't know who's going to live. Um, and it was filmed entirely in Texas. The limited budget forced Hooper to film for long hours, uh, which I heard was like 16 to 20 hours a day, seven in days Texas a week. Texas heat. Yeah. So that he could finish as quickly as possible and reduce equipment rental costs. Due to the film's violent content, Hoover struggled to find a distributor, but it was eventually acquired by Louis Perano, a Bryson distributing company. Hooper limited the quantity of on-screen gore in hopes of securing a PG rating, but the Motion Picture Association rated it R. But even still, there was no blood. Yeah. Hardly, I don't recall seeing any blood. Mm-hmm. Um, the film faced similar difficulties internationally. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre was banned in several countries, and numerous theaters stopped showing the film in response to complaints. I wish they could have movies like this today. You know, like, but I, I want to go to a movie theater and see someone pass out. I know. And that's what kills me about this movie. Like, I'm not going to say this is one of my favorite horror movies, because it's not. But in 1974, what, was The Exorcist out yet? I think it just came no, out. It, I think it came out a year later. Oh, okay. So you've not seen anything like this? No, it was very raw. Everything it, on TV is very G. 
very yeah. Andy Griffith show, and mm -hmm. then you go into the theater with your, you know, 40 cent popcorn and your 10 cent <laughs> Coke, and you, what the fuck is going on? Because yeah. that's how I wanted to watch it, but yeah. I mean, it's crazy for the time. It really is. It's, and it's a long draw until you get to it's. It goes, I mean, like when you finally see Leatherface, it's right almost at the half an hour mark. Yeah. Like it's a very long draw, but I just, I, every time I watch it, I just, just like imagine like being in a theater and I love, like, that's why, like, when I watch period films that are horror, such as Texas Chainsaw, they don't always give it a grainy look. Like the, the one movie that kind of recently did that was, um, Ty West's X. Have you seen it? Not yet. Dude, you got to. It's really good. It does look really good. good. And uh, I hear the follow-up Pearl. It's good, but not as good. Uh, and they already have, like, he, he wrote it into a trilogy. So part three is coming out next year. So, and Ty West is underrated. Like, those A24 films, they're they're really good. Yeah. Um. All right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. While in, <clears throat> excuse me. While initially drew a mixed reception from critics, it was highly profitable, versing over thirty million at the domestic box office. So, it cost one hundred and forty, and they made thirty million. <laughs> so, I think they got their money back. I, I think they did okay. So, in um, and by as twenty nineteen standards, that would equate to one hundred and fifty point eight million dollars. Uh, they sold over 16.5 million tickets in 1974, and of course, it's gained a reputation as one of the best and most influential horror films. Anytime you watch like a horror documentary, they always reference uh, Leatherface, and they always go, I feel, to two scenes. The scene where he's chasing Sally right before like the tractor trailer comes, and then when he's flailing the chainsaw at the end. I, you know, the first movie that introduced me to Texas Chainsaw Massacre is actually a comedy. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw it. It was called Summer School with Mark Hamill. Oh, yeah. Mark Come on. Yeah. Yeah. The two, <laughs> the two stoners played it in school. The special yeah. effect kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's credited with originating several elements common in the slasher genre, including the use of power tools as murder weapons, the characterization of the killer as, as a large, hulking faceless figure, and the killing of victims. Although he only killed one person with a chainsaw in this film. Yeah. Yep. Um, it led to the franchise that continued the story of Leatherface and his family through sequels, prequels, a remake, comic books, and video games. So the concept for the movie arose in the early 70s when Toby Hooper was working as an assistant film director at the University of Texas and as a documentary cameraman. He had already developed a story involving the elements of isolation, the woods, and darkness. He credited the graphic coverage of violence by San Antonio news outlets as one inspiration for the film and based elements of the plot on murder of Ed Gein, who committed his crimes in 1950s Wisconsin. Uh, Gein later inspired uh, horror films such as Psycho, and the silence of the lambs during development hooper used the working titles of head cheese and leatherface which i i like you know leatherface maybe but i'm glad he didn't go with head cheese yeah hooper has cited changes in the cultural and political landscape as central influences on the film his intentional misinformation that the film you're about to see is true was a response to being lied to you by the government about things that were going all over the world so in essence this was like a blair witch project yeah. per se you know what, what, but it's a lot harder to find out that it wasn't real back then than it was yeah the oh yeah project. for sure for sure for sure 
Um, so he again, he was uh, this was a response to being lied to by the government about things that were going on all over the world, including Watergate, the 73 oil crisis, and the massacres and atrocities in the Vietnam War. The lack of sentimentality and the brutality of things. Uh, Hooper noticed while watching the local news whose graphic coverage was epitomized by showing brains spilled all over the road. Uh, do they do that in today's news? No, they, uh, man, this was raw, even rawer back then. Well, um, you got to remember, I mean, we were watching presidents get shot on national television. True. Yeah. Jack Ruby got shot the day after, or Jack, well, they both got shot and killed that day. Well, no, Jack, well, um, Oswald was the day of, no. Yeah. Oswald was the day after. Day after, yeah, yeah. Ruby killed him, but then Ruby went to jail and then he died in prison. And there's a conspiracy theory about how he died in prison. Like I think like he was intentionally like giving cancer and that's how he died. That's another fun one we're gonna cover. Yeah, for sure. Um, so basically out of all the thing that Hooper saw on TV, he's like, Man's the real monster, just wearing a different face. So he literally put a mask on the monster in his film. The idea of using a chainsaw as a murder weapon came to Hooper while he was in the hardware section of, the, of a busy store, contemplating how to speed his way through the crowd. And, you know, if you go to look for this chainsaw, like on eBay, it goes for so quite some money. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Uh, so Hooper and Kim Henkel co-wrote the screenplay and formed Vortex Inc. with Henkel as president and Hooper as vice president. They asked Bill Parsley, a friend of Hooper, to provide funding. Parsley formed a company named MAB Inc., though, which he invested $60,000 in the production. In return, MAB owned 50% of the film and its profits. That's a pretty good... That's a good um, deal. That is a good deal. Production manager Ron Bozeman told most of the cast and crew that he would have to defer part of the salaries until after it was sold to a distributor. Vortex made the idea more attractive by awarding them a share of its potential profits, ranging from... 0.25 to 6%, similar to mortgage points. The cast and crew were not informed that Vortex owned only 50%, which meant their points were worth half of the assumed value. Mm. They got the raw end of the deal out of this. Yep. Yep. All right. So in casting, um, again, many of the, the um, actors and actresses were unknown Texans um, who had played roles in commercials, televisions, and stage shows, as well as performers whom Hooper knew personally, such as Alan Denziger and Jim Seidel. Involvement in the film propelled some of them into the motion picture industry. The lead role of Sally was given to Marilyn Burns, who had appeared previously on stage and served on the film commission board at UT Austin while studying there. Terry McMinn was a student who worked with local theater companies, including Dallas Theater Center. Henkel called McMinn to come in for a reading after he spotted her picture in the Austin American Statesman. She's actually active on Facebook. Um, her Facebook page is Pam, the original final girl no i forget what's not final girl it's something but she you know she she promotes a lot of stuff she she wrote a book about her you know uh, experiences making the film um and she's a big animal lover too she loves cats uh hankel called mcmahon up uh, for the last call back he requested that she wear short shorts which proved to be the most comfortable that's like the iconic when her and her boyfriend are walking to the house yep. they do like the low low shot of her rear end <laughs> icelandic american actor gunner hansen was selected for the role of leatherface he regarded leatherface as having an intellectual disability and having never learned to speak properly to research his character in preparation for his role 
Hansen visited a special needs school and watched how the students moved and spoke. John Larroquette, if you watch Nycourt, performed the narration in the opening credits. And you know how they paid him? Weed, right? Yes, for a joint. <laughs> <laughs> and then he would go on again to, um, I'm not, I, he didn't do part two, but he did the remake. Yep. I believe he might have done the prequel and he did the 2022 one as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, so filming. So primarily um, the filming location was an early 1900s farmhouse located on Quick Hill Road near Round Rock, Round Rock Texas, where the La Frontera development is now located. The small budget and concerns over high cost equipment rentals meant the crew filmed seven days a week, up to 16 hours a day. The environment was humid and the cast and crew found conditions tough. Temperatures peaked at 110 on July 26. Hansen later recalled it was 95 degrees, 100 degrees every day filming. They wouldn't wash my costume because they were worried that the laundry might lose it or that it would change color. They didn't have enough money for a second costume, so I wore that mask 12 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week for a month. He was ripe. <laughs> Sounds like a haunt costume. Yeah. Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was mainly shot using a clear NPR 16 millimeter camera with fine grain, low speed that required four times more light than the modern digital cameras. Most of the filming took place in the farmhouse, which was filled with furniture constructed from animal bones and a latex material used as a upholstery to give the appearance of human skin. The house was not cold and there was little ventilation. The crew covered its walls with drops of animal blood obtained from a local slaughterhouse. Uh, Robert A. Burns, who was the art director, drove around the countryside and collected remains of cattle and other animals in various stages of decomposition, with which he littered the floors of the house. So it was hot and ripe in there as well. That was my favorite scene is when she stumbled into the Ed Gein room is what mm -hmm, I call it. Mm -hmm. Because that was just right there, like, it's kind of overwhelming, the amount of shit yeah. they had in that room. Yeah. The special effects were simple and limited by the budget. The on-screen blood was real in some cases, such as the scene in which Leatherface feeds Grandpa, which that kind of freaked me out when he's, like, sucking on her finger. Yeah. <laughs> the crew had difficulty getting the stage blood to come out of his tube, so instead Burns' index finger was cut with a razor. Burns' costume was so drenched with stage blood that it was virtually so solid by the last day of shooting. The scene in which Leatherface kills Kirk with a chainsaw worried actor William Vale. After Vale, after telling Vale to stay, uh, let let stay lest he really be killed, Hanson brought the running chainsaw to within three inches of his face. A real hammer was used for the climactic scene at the end, with some takes also featuring a mock-up. However, the actor playing Grandpa was aiming for the floor rather than his victim's head. Still, the shot was somewhat dangerous, with Hooper noting at the rap party that all cast members had attained some level of injury. He stated that everyone hated me by the end of production and that it just took years for them to kind of cool off. <laughs> so we talked about post-production. Um, so it exceeded its original... 60,000 um, adjusted to 330, actually 600,000. No, I, I don't know. I think I might have made a mistake. Anyway, uh, exceeded his budget um, during editing. So I guess they had $60,000 of a budget for yeah. editing, and that's 330 grand today. Sources differ on the film's final costs, offering figures between 93,000, which is about 511. And uh, three hundred thousand, which is uh, one point six million, uh, a film production group pie in the sky, partially led by future president of Texas State Bar Joe K. Longley, 
uh, provided uh, basically like $24,000 in exchange for 19% of board tax. So people are making deals and the actors are just... Oh, yeah, just getting yeah. screwed. Yeah. Um, well, this is all blah, blah, blah. I'm just, I'm just proving through this. It's all Basically, this is all money stuff, but the actors got screwed in the end. Um, all right. So it released uh, October 1st, 1974. So that's almost 50 years ago, right? Yeah, 50 years yep. and two years. Um, basically, after a year, it was a year to the date of it started filming. It screened nationally in the United States as a Saturday afternoon matinee, and its false marketing as a true story helped it attract a broad audience. For eight years after 1976, it was annually reissued to first-run theaters promoted by full-page ads. The film eventually grossed more than $30 million in the United States and Canada, making it the 12th highest grossing film initially released in 1974 despite its municipal budget uh among independent films it was overtaken in 78 by carpenter's halloween which grossed 47 million and that carpenter's halloween would hold that title until 1999 when the blair witch project came out so for 21 years it held wow. that title as the highest grossing independent horror film uh, Hooper reportedly hoped that the Motion Picture Association, <laughs> I don't know how he would think he would get a PJ, uh, due to the minimal amount of visible gore. Uh, but originally they got an X, so he's lucky they got an R. Um, all right. So a distributor apparently restored the offending material, and at least one theater presented the full version under an R. I would love to, like, I'm sure it's like all the deleted scenes and whatnot, but yeah. how cool would that have been? Oh, yeah. Um, in San Francisco, cinema goers walked out of the theater in disgust. And in February 1976, two theaters in Ottawa, Canada, were advised by local police to withdraw the film. Damn, can Canadian Canadians, you know, <laughs> morality charges. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh man! In Britain, um, it did, did a theatrical run. For, can you imagine the, uh, having a movie play for a year and a half, like <sighs> you know, or just a year. Uh, it was initially banned on the advice of the British Board of Film Censors, Secretary Stephen Murphy, and sub subsequently by his successor, James Furman. While the British ban was enforced, the word chainsaw itself was barred from movie titles, forcing imitators to rename their films. In 1998, despite the BBC ban, Camden London Borough Council granted the film a license. The following year, the BBFC passed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for release with an 18 certificate. So basically, like 20-some years later they were allowed to play Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> the film's only 83 minutes. So like after, I feel like after you do meet Leatherface, I feel like it has a good flow to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. It was so, just weird because like the first half hour, they didn't even really use for customer development. Uh, nah. Customer development. Character development. <laughs> like customer development. Jeez. I mean, like all you basically know is they're going to visit her dad's house but like why did her dad die did her dad leave it to them like who who was who was sally's boyfriend who was the other two like nothing like yeah nothing. there was like, nothing going on with that it was so, so weird when they when they died you didn't feel bad although when franklin died i was like yeah motherfucker <laughs> die die so and i'm really happy that the astronomy has died off in this country because her reading that <laughs> stupid ass book i was just like could she die well, I think first? they did that in the remake. I think they they gave the Pepper character. I think they, they kind of yeah yeah. Um, like at least in the remake, you knew what they were doing. They were they were going to the Leonard's 
Skinner concert, but I think they were also like the guys were picking up weed to sell or mm-hmm. they were selling weed, like and then um the Jessica Beale's character or boyfriend was gonna propose to her, you know, like yeah. and you felt bad when they got killed. They, 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 you ended up liking them. Well, somewhat. Yeah. That redhead was annoying. But I mean <laughs> Jessica Beale you liked, her boyfriend you liked, the other dude. Uh, I you think liked. every guy liked Jessica Beale because oh, yeah. she was wearing <laughs> That was like her post Seventh Heaven movie. <laughs> like, screw you, WB. <laughs> Look, guys, I have titties. <laughs> so, yeah, like, so it opens up, you know, kind of like with the Star Wars scroll, you know, talking about um, the events that happened on 1974 will forever be known as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, I love that. And the, the camera. Wow. It's iconic. Yeah, yeah. So Sally is traveling to her their dad's house for whatever reason with her uh, idiotic brother Franklin, uh, their friends Jerry, Kirk, and Pam, initially to visit the grave of their grandfather because they heard about the grave diggings. And I just, and that's that scene, like when they get to the cemetery, like, man, they were like all over her. Well, come on here. I'll show you where it's at. Uh-huh. And then he had that. Then he had that drunk guy just laughing on the ground. <laughs> They're really giving Texas a good uh, look here. Uh, well, that's not too far <laughs> from the truth. <laughs> Have you been to Texas? Oh, many, her? many, many times. Okay. And like, there is fucking nothingness in Texas. So, like, really? this movie makes a ton of sense. You could drive for an hour and not see a town. Really? Wow. I would love to do like a cross country road trip like that. You know, like we were watching Children of the Corn the other night and uh, Irene's never seen it. And we we both fell asleep. But after like the intro and they leave the motel, they're just like driving. It's just corn stalks for like miles. And I want to do that, you know, (laughs) just see America, America, Uh, America, Um. So afterwards, they decide to visit the old Harvesty family homestead. Along the way, they pick up a hitchhiker. Oh, man, this guy was creepy AF. Just like they're, you know, I think the the camera shot of them looking at him kind of set up a lot of movies. Up, you know, even in today's standards, when there's something weird, they do like a a, a pan shot of the cast, like what the fuck is this, you know? Because mm-hmm. he was just weird, and like, him and Franklin bonded on how to kill a cow. Uh, yeah. You know? The head cheese. Hey, My hey, brother hey, makes some you, good head cheese. Do you use the, 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 the gun or, or the hammer? Oh, no, you, you, got, you got to do the hammer. That's the way, that's the great way to do it. And then, like, <coughs> excuse me, he takes Franklin's knife and cuts himself and, like, I don't know, smears it on Franklin or whatever. I got a knife. I got a good knife, too. And then he takes a photo of them, and then he tries to sell it to them, which you'll find that in New York, Philadelphia. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like those horrible people in the party city costumes at Times Square. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he gets all pissed off because they won't buy his photo, so he burns it. And this is where the continuity error of the 2022 film is, because Sally still has that photo, but it's like, how do you have that photo? He burned it anyway. So after he gets all psycho and cuts his hand, they kick him out. And then he's like 
dude, you're in a van. Why is he parallel to you running? Like, and he's like kicking the van and does like a symbol. I was just like, okay. Hit the gas, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they finally get to, uh, well, first, before they get to the farmhouse, they stop at the, the gas station. Um, and did they go inside? Did, did they, did, did they shoot inside the gas station? No. No, it wasn't until yeah the girls on. at the soda machine. Yeah, and then they just panned to them sitting by the truck or the van, and then he came out with the barbecue. So I don't think they went right. in yet. Yeah, it was in the remake when they actually went in there, and that was and horrifying. Like, oh, yeah, did they did Did you ever see like a roadside barbecue joint like that? Yeah, but I've never yeah. went in. <laughs> so this is when we're introduced to the profiteer and. uh He's all, oh, what y'all doing out here for? Why you want to go out there? So, um, you know, at first uh, you think everything's cool and whatnot. So, yeah, he gets barbecue. Um, and I think it was the gas station was called like We Slaughter, something like that. Yeah, We um, Slaughter. Yeah. Uh, they continue toward the homestead, intending to return to gas station once it has received a fuel delivery. When they arrive, Franklin tells Kirk and Pam about a local swimming hole. How the hell did he get in that swimming hole? You know? Mm. <laughs> um, so they're checking the house out and they're just having a good old time. But you know, it was funny, like I think it was like, I don't know if it was Kirk or the other guy, they walk into the one room and they do a zoom in of like the daddy long legs. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Franklin's all pissed off because he's just having a hard time getting up the steps or whatever, and they're all having a good time, and he's like <laughs> you know sucking on that thumb sausage so um yeah and the house has been deserted for a while so again it's like why are you there right like it right. just it didn't help the story <laughs> no no um so pam and kirk go to was it kirk no what was it i don't know yeah kirk and pam yeah, yeah so they go because they want to go swimming probably skinny dipping it's the 70s is what they did you know free love uh, but the the pond or lake's all dried up, but they they hear a generator. Kirk hears a generator. Says, so oh, we can get gas. So kids being kids in those days, they just walk in the house, not really thinking, you know. I'm sorry. If I saw a house like that, I'm not going in. Nope. I, I would look from afar, but not go in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um pam's outside kirk's like you know hello hello and that's when we get our first glimpse of leatherface you know because you're squealing oh yeah you know and then he comes out he raises like well he, he can't see because your door's not there but your iconic oh, new yeah. uh, door frame thing you got raises that mallet and whops him over the head and perfect that whole perfect thud from that hammer too just yeah, a, and then the, the just nothing, just the door slams shut, and you're like, okay, yeah. So this is when we're introduced to Leatherface, a large mute man wearing a mask made from human skin, suddenly appears and kills Kirk with a hammer. So Pam enters soon after, and she trips into your uh, Ed Gein room, you know, filmed with like uh, had chicken bones, human furniture. Uh, she attempts to flee, but Leatherface catches her and impales her on a meat hook. That, uh, 
like when like that and in the remake when he did the same thing to the guy after he cut his leg off like oh, i yeah. feel that like when he chopped that guy's leg off in the remake when he's running through like the um the backyard with uh like the blankets drying out from being washed mm-hmm. i felt that yeah and it's, i felt that it's a, the meat hook's so bad because a that's gonna hurt like a bitch b mm-hmm. you're not getting out of that no. Do you know how you can... strong you would have to be yeah. to be able to lift yourself up that high? And yeah. you know, if the hook's bent in a little bit, you're you're just you're, you're done. Yeah. And you know it. Like when Jessica Beale was trying to get that guy off the hook, he's like on above the piano and she like loses grip and he just goes down. I yeah. was like, oh. oh God. <laughs> um so as she's impaled on a meat hook, uh she's watching helplessly as he butchers Kirk with a chainsaw. Uh, Jerry heads out to look for Pam and Kirk at sunset. He sees the house and finds Pam still alive. I never got that. So she's like in the freezer. Like, I just never got that whole, like, she looks like a zombie from Dawn of the Dead. Like, she's a little blue in the face. (laughs) Um, So she's still alive inside a freezer. Before he can react, Leatherface kills him. With darkness falling, Sally and Franklin set out to find their friends. But of course, they're bitching at each other the whole way. She wants to hold a flashlight, and I can't push you. And I'll hold the flashlight. And then, you know, so um, as they near the neighboring house and call out, Leatherface lurches from the darkness and kills Franklin with a chainsaw. And that's like when Sally just snaps. She's not right in the head after that. Uh, Sally runs towards the house and finds the de- desiccated remains of an elderly couple upstairs. She escapes from Leatherface by jumping through a second floor window and she flees uh, to the gas station. The proprietor calms her with offers of help, but then he ties her up, gags her, and forces her into his truck. He drives to the, but while they're driving to the house, he's like poking her, you know, like he's getting, he's getting his rocks off by poking her with like a little stick or whatever he had. Mm-hmm. So as he's like driving to the house, he runs into the hitchhiker now revealed to be his brother i don't recall them saying like i i don't think they did yeah so um in actuality there was a prequel uh it was it came out on i forget what streaming channel it came out on but it has stephen dorff in it he played like a sheriff and it was called leatherface i believe and it was set uh like 20 years before this and you actually meet leatherface the barbecue guy and the hitchhiker they're all from the insane asylum Mm. but they kind of leave it i had to watch again because it was okay nothing um, it makes like the next generation looks like an Oscar-worthy movie, okay? Um, but they kind of give you a red herring as to who Leatherface is out of the three. Hmm. Yeah, you, for a while you think it's this one guy, but it then turns out to be the other guy. Um, so the hitchhiker recognizes Sally, and oh man, when he sees Sally, he's just like, <laughs> you know, and then the men just take turns tormenting her, Um while Leatherface, now dressed as a woman, serves dinner. He goes through three different masks in this film. Yeah. Uh, Leatherface and Hitchhiker bring down one of the desiccated bodies from upstairs, that of their grandpa. He is revealed to be alive when he sucks blood from a cut on Sally's finger. So this, I, I think this is where 
you remember the the vampire movie Underworld? Yeah. They lay dormant and they look all bony until they get blood. Oh, yeah. I wonder if they stole this idea from Maybe. him sucking her finger. Um, they decide that Grandpa, the best killer in the old slaughterhouse, should kill Sally. That guy, he's like, just, he sucks. Uh, he tries to hit her with a hammer, but he is too weak. In the ensuing struggle, she breaks free, leaps through a window, and flees to the road. And so if you ever wonder why it looks dark, like when... Like when he brings her home, it's dark. And you're like, there's no way it was sunny that quick. Yeah. And if I'm watching the film, well, the reason it was like sunset or maybe sunrise, actually, it was sunset because that, that entire scene in the home uh, before she breaks free, they blacked out the windows to make it look dark. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So she's she's running, and man, I love the way the hitchhiker tries to run after her. Um, he Leatherface is running after her, and I think that's like an awesome scene when he comes out the door with a chainsaw, wearing a suit. Um, but it's the hitchhiker catches up with her, and it's just so funny because she like does like this little pivot, and boom, he's hit by the the eighteen wheeler. Mm-hmm. And if you pause just right enough, you can see the dummy. Um, <laughs> so the truck driver, this is so funny. Like he gets out to help. He sees Leatherface. Like, oh shit, oh, I ain't doing dealing with this, you know. So they both run back to the truck, get in the cab. Why didn't he take off? Yeah, I don't know. Le- Le- Leatherface, his saw's not. Uh, penetrating that metal, just scratching it up. They decide to get out the other side, run towards the end of the trailer. Leatherface is running after him. And then you have that trucker turn around and throw that wrench at him and knocks Leatherface out. Well, not now, out, but to the ground in which he cuts his leg. And I like how they do incorporate that in the future films. It's not like a continuity error. Um, so this truck driver, you don't see him anymore. She just left his ass as soon as she got on that truck. Yep. Another another pickup truck comes, she, you know, and Marilyn Burns is just such a great job. Like that, when she's just saying go, that agony in her voice, mm-hmm. that, that was great. So, but I think that truck driver still roaming the woods out in Texas. <laughs> um, so Leatherface is just pissed off and decides to flail his chainsaw at the end. And then it ends with like closing credits once again, narrated by John Larroquette. And uh, so critical response. Um, the critics hated the film. They, they dogged it. Far from um, the course. Yeah. I mean, some people, I mean, Roger Ebert said it's a violent and gruesome and blood soaked as the title promises. But praise this acting and technical execution. Um, Donald Berrigan of Cincinnati, Cincinnati Inquirer praised the lead performance of Burns. Um, she deserves a special Academy Award for one of the most sustained and believable acting achievements in movie history. Um, so as with like any horror movies, yeah, I mean, critics look, I mean, people look at it from two different spectrums, the gore, but then the cinematography you know Mm -hmm. and this is where it got a lot of praise was like the cinematography um yeah so if you scroll down i'm gonna read everything um all right so trivia this is my favorite part i like learning me too 
Yeah. So we talked about John Larroquette. His payment for doing the opening narration was a marijuana joint. But isn't that awesome how things like that were just like, give me a joint, you know, or, yeah. you know, give me a bump of coke. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then the soundtrack contains no sounds from musical instruments. And I never really picked up on that until after I read this trivia. I read the trivia before rewatching the film just to get it fresh in my mind. And I think that's what makes it even creepier because um i mean they did have a couple songs in there but they use sounds of an they use sounds an animal would hear inside a slaughterhouse yeah that's a good yeah. idea yeah um according to edwin neal who was the hitchhiker texas state troopers actually shook his hand and thanked him for causing crime to drop 18 percent. apparently the message audiences took away from the movie was don't pick up hitchhikers have you ever picked up a hitchhiker fuck no yeah <laughs> i barely let my friends in the car let alone a stranger <laughs> shit um so as i said earlier leatherface wore three different masks uh, so he has a killing mask which we see you know when we're introduced to him he has the old lady mask uh and then the pretty woman which is basically what he wears um uh, at the end of the film like when they're tormenting sally uh, Gunnar Hansen commented the reason he wore a mask, according to Toby and Kim, was that the mask really determined his personality. Who he wanted to be that day determined what mask he put on. So when Drayton comes home with a, with Sally, Leatherface is wearing the old lady mask and he's wearing an apron and carrying a wooden spoon. He wants to be domestic, helpful in the kitchen. At dinner, he wears a different face, the pretty woman, which has makeup. The pretty woman outfit consists of a female wig. In a black suit. Now, here's a little bit more trivia. It's not a regular suit. It's actually a velvet suit. Oh. The shirts, the, the jacket's velvet. But it didn't. Pick, you. It didn't pick up on that kind of film stock. But if you watch the Blu-ray, you're gonna see it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, um, let me see. Uh, and he said, "Dinner." He wears a different face. The pretty woman, which has makeup. The pretty woman up. Uh, outfit consists of a female wig and a black suit as Leatherface is dressing up for dinner, an old deep South tradition which stems from his southern upbringing and the killing mask is a skin mask he wears while chasing and murdering his captives. Hansen later added the idea of the mask is that there is no personality under the mask. That was the idea in talking with Toby and Kim. When they created the character, they said he has to put on masks to express himself because he can't do it. The way he tried to create him, there is nothing under the mask, which is what makes him so frightening see now they kind of contradicted themselves in this because at one point he is looking out the window thinking yeah so like they went into the mess to see his eyes thinking and expressing himself like he's frustrated a little confused yeah he's hitting so himself on the head that whole no. scene contradicts what they were trying to do because it showed yeah. that he has personality feelings shit like that i i always remember that scene because he played a hell of a job in that scene and mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. just the quietness and his eyes going yeah. back and forth so that, that's interesting yeah um, since the film's original release, the location used as the Sawyer family house has changed completely. It's now an open field with no indication that there ever been a house there. The house itself has been relocated and fully restored. It is now operated as Grand Central Cafe, formerly known as Junction House Restaurant, on the grounds of the Antlers Hotel Complex at 1010 King Street in Kingsland, Texas. The gas station was recently turned into a restaurant a few years ago and it hosts horror events however as of like 
a week or two ago, it's being sued by Vortex for copyright issues. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I applaud anyone that is a horror fan that wants to, you know, preserve film history in any genre. Yeah. But if you're going to do it, you, you got to follow the right. rules. You got to follow the rules. Like, I am sure, like, um, Chris Rowan, who owns the Buffalo Bills house, he, you know, to use, like, you know, the cover art, basically, of, like, the whatever, the butterfly. The or what, yeah. the butterfly, thank you. He's probably had to reach out to the distributor, the distributors of the film and mm-hmm. all and use, use the name Buffalo. I'm sure he had to pay something like a licensing fee. But um, these guys didn't. They're selling licensed merchandise in their gift shop. I think it was like 56 items um, that they got busted with. And, yeah. you know, and I just you're, you're going to lose it. And they they have the weed slaughter sign up there, too. Yeah. So. And it's not about people being greedy. It's the law, yeah. you know, like it's copyrights a copyright for a reason. It protects yeah. what you built. I mean, yep. Yep. without it, we could all just steal shit from everyone and not have to do anything. Mm-hmm. I could have made a Friday 13 film by now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that is my review of 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Awesome job, Brian. Thank you. you. brought me right back into it. So where's this sit in the plethora of horror for you? Like, is it in the top ten? Did oh, it crack sure. the top twenty? Okay. I, I would say, actually, you know, I would say now of all time horror films, it's in the top ten. Can I say if it's in the top five? Maybe, maybe I would have to go back and reevaluate. Like the the horror films that like stand out to me the most, the original. Friday the 13th, original Halloween, original Nightmare on Elm Street, um, The Exorcist. And you know what? I actually would say this would probably round out my number five. Okay. Um, Not in that order, but Texas would round out as the fifth one. I gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. What about you? Where would this I think it might be in the top 20. I mean, I like to be entertained. Like the movie quality of this was great, but it is a slow burn. Yeah. So I mean and I, I was actually talking to someone at work today about that. Uh I don't even know how we got on topic of movies, but uh because he was like he tried watching Citizen Kane. Okay. And you know, that's been labeled as one of the greatest films of all time. But if you weren't if you didn't grow up with your parents watching the movies of that era, you may not appreciate it as much because filmmaking was different then yep stories were slow the acting to me wasn't as great as it is today i can appreciate it because my mom and dad would watch amc when they actually played classic movies and tcm um turner classic movies so i can appreciate all those old movies but for younger people especially if you're in your 20s they may not appreciate it and i say late 60s 70s is now that cutoff where if you have a younger person watch it i mean you you even said it was a slow burn um i think if we had a 20 a 19 year old watch the original they may have been 
This ain't scary. Yeah. This sucks. Where's the gore? <laughs> and yeah. I had to keep doing that to myself. Like, all right, it's 1974. Yeah. Saul hasn't existed yet. I mean, people just found out about Ed Gein 20 years ago. I mean, yeah. this you got to put yourself in that place. Yeah. Well, look at Alien. It was like the less you see, the scarier uh-huh. it is. Yeah. You know, and that's why, like, um, I like movies like that. Like, um, uh, what was the movie with uh, Mel Gibson where the aliens? I am drawing a blank right now. Signs. 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 You didn't really see the aliens until the end. Yeah. But M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> did enough to scare you. Like when Joaquin Phoenix was watching the news with the kids and it was like in Mexico and you see the alien just like walking like in the alley, but for maybe two seconds, yep. that's creeped me out. Yeah. I love movies like I that. I think we all jumped with them. <laughs> yeah. And I was in my closet wearing a uh, you know, tinfoil hat. <laughs> You know, it's it's just like like that movie's just so good. I have to revisit that soon. I love, I love, I I like that and like um another alien movie that freaked me out was Fire in the Sky. Mm-hmm. That's a good one, and that's a great story too. Yeah, that's a great story. I think we should do that. You know, when we do our UFO stories. Yeah, because it's been a long time since I saw that. Yeah, that, what really freaked me out, and I've only I've seen it maybe two or three times total. But the one scene, other than him like getting hit by the light, was after he comes back and they're having a like a, a welcome back party, and he starts having like PTSD, and he's in a telephone booth, and he sees like three or four finger dots from like an alien's hand with like goo ooze dripping down, and he just like freaks the fuck out. Yeah, that creeped me out. So, all right, Jared. Well. Right. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It has, man. I think this was a hell of an episode. We learned sure. a lot. Because I'm, I'm not going to say I've watched this one the most. I've only seen it three times total compared mm-hmm. to others. I've seen hundreds. I don't yeah. know why it doesn't make it into that rotation. But I still also have to watch the sequels. I missed a lot of them. Which ones have you seen? I saw two decades okay. ago. Mm-hmm. The remake. I saw okay. the... Um, the one where the chick got the house, and then he's oh, in the basement. Oh, that was horrible. The only do your thing, cuz Texas 3D. Oh, is that what that Texas was? Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D. The only the only pleasant part of that movie was Alexandra Diadio. Yeah, you know that's probably why it stayed on. And that had so many continuity errors. Oh, yeah. I Irene, I said, Irene, this is like it was. It came out like two years after we started dating. I'm like, you want to go see it? She's like, I'm getting my nails done. <laughs> and I was like, I wish I went with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I watched it one day. I was home from work or something, and we were in the other house, and I was just like, eh, eh, eh. All right, this is trash, but I left it on. All right, let's get us out of here so we can enjoy our weekend, sir. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for all that hard work right there. Thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. And thank you all for getting lost in the woods with us at the Horror Shed Podcast. We'll see you later.